0: It's time for another edition of the Chicago Bears podcast, Bears Banter, powered by Wind City River and SB Nation. Bill Zimmerman with you. And I feel like we've celebrated this once already, but we can celebrate it again. Justin Fields, big announcement this week by Matt Nagy, is officially QB1. Not for this week against the Raiders, not even for the next couple weeks till Dalton heals up, who has healed up, by the way. But moving forward, the Bears are going with Justin Fields. Now, why did Nagy make this decision? Is this maybe the timeline? We talked about it on this podcast. Is that maybe the timeline that Nagy was looking at anyway, even though he was not being forthright with anything with with the media and and, and publicly? Maybe he was looking at the Detroit-Vegas games as where to bring bring Justin Fields in as the starter and... It just kind of worked out that way with Dalton with the, with the bone bruise. Maybe that was the case. Maybe it just was that the fact that Justin Fields provides explosive plays for this Bears offense that Andy Dalton doesn't. We saw it against Detroit, and perhaps that is the reason. We don't know exactly what the reason was behind closed doors. Maybe Ryan Pace or George McCaskey stepped in and said, would you start playing the damn rookie quarterback? I'm sick and tired of, of, of this game we're playing. Whatever the reason was, there has been a change at Halas Hall. Justin Fields is the starting quarterback, and look, for me, it's obvious that you have to do it at this point, and sure, there may be situations where Andy Dalton is better suited to have success with the Bears because of his experience at the quarterback position, but this isn't about short-term success in little pockets this season. This is about developing Justin Fields into the quarterback that we believe he can be and we saw what he can do in that Detroit game, and I get it. It's the Lions, but it doesn't matter. You saw the field's mentality, something we haven't seen since Cutler of that, you know, going deep, looking deep. It, 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 You know, if things aren't open immediately, we're so used to quarterbacks going, all right, let me just dump it in the flat. Let me do a, you know, who's ever, you know, potentially open short. Let me do that so I just don't get sacked and at least we get a couple yards out of it. Fields has that, well, if they're not open, then I'm going deep. And we saw it to a lot of success there. Explosive plays, and I brought this up on Twitter, Justin Fields, the Bears passing game against Detroit, the explosive play rate was 22%. 22% the last two years prior to that. And again, I'm not doing this to knock Mitch Trubisky. This is just what the offense was, whether it was Trubisky, whether it was Foles whether it was Chase Daniel, whoever it might have been these last couple years, this offense with Matt Nagy calling plays was not explosive. Nobody can argue against it. The Bears' explosive pass play rate was 6% these last two years. And again, it jumped to Justin Fields at 22%. It's night and day. And yes, Nagy, the play caller, is also a part of that. But when Bill Lazor called plays against the Lions, the explosive play rate was 7%. So not significantly better, obviously an improvement. But what Bill Lazor brings to this table is just the ability to call plays at you know an acceptable NFL level. And that sounds like I'm pushing the bar down low, but, but let's be honest about Bill Lazor. Bill Lazor did not have a job in the NFL prior to Matt Nagy bringing him on. That does not mean Bill Lazor's terrible because there's more than 32 offensive minds capable of, of running an NFL offense, maybe not at an elite level, but you know, capable. And Bill Lazor is one of those guys. But Matt Nagy and his play calling is so poor that a guy that no NFL team was clamoring for, but the Bears brought him in, he's such a better play caller than Matt Nagy. That the Bears' offense, again, the Nagy offense, again, it's not like they're in, in, installing a new offense. This is the offense that Nagy has to utilize, but he's not utilizing it properly. In the heart of the game, he's just there's no flow. There's there's questionable decisions. There's questionable match. He's not. He doesn't create favorable matchups for his own players. It's it's a mess, and I've really been confused. When you go back and look at 2018, how much better this Bears offense ran. And again, I understand the defense was phenomenal that year, and that played a big part of it. I'm not denying that. But when you just forget the defense, when you just watch the offense play, it was so much smoother and such a better unit. And in 2019 and 2020 and the first few games, it just wasn't there. There just wasn't continuity. It was just choppy. (sighs) There's no point to spend that much time on it, but Bill Lazor has improved this offense tremendously with his play calling. So there's an improvement there. And if Matt Nagy cannot get in his own way and let fields play and develop and let Bill Lazor call the plays each and every week from the the booth upstairs, the Bears offense is going to be in a much better situation. Now, Matt Nagy, look, again, bottom line for me with, with this situation with, with Justin Fields, I wanted him in there by the Detroit game, and that's what happened. Not the way I would have done any of it, but it's what happened. So I'm going to try and push past the how, how Matt Nagy's handled this situation. But before I do, just one thing I want to share about my views on Matt Nagy, because I have, If you listen to this podcast, I have overall been a very strong supporter of Matt Nagy. And I still am in, in, in some regards. Have I softened on that support? A hundred percent I have. But I, I want to just kind of give a better explanation of what I think Matt Nagy is in the position he's, he, he's in. I think overall, the CEO aspect of being a head coach, I think Nagy's pretty good there. I think the players respect him. A lot of people on Twitter say, "Oh, the locker room's losing him." You know, he's losing the locker room. I don't think that's the case. Are players getting frustrated potentially on how he handled the Justin Fields situation and and not you know getting more wins and losses? Yeah, that's going to happen. But this is not a Mark Tressman situation or an Urban Meyer situation. Let's let's be honest. Where this this locker room looks at him with with disdain and 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 a lack of respect. I don't think that's the case at all. I think Matt Nagy, you know. Has the support of his players. I think Matt Nagy understands how to run an NFL team from a, a week to week. Despite what I think about how he handled fields, I think overall he's good there. He, I, I think, you know, he he keeps his players at a high level overall. He has been able to maneuver this team out of some slumps and save the season to a to a degree by the end of the season. He does a lot of positive things as the head coach of the football team. But the issue is Matt Nagy was not only brought in as the head coach of the football team, but he was brought in as the offensive guru, the Sean McVay, if you will, the guy who's going to install his offense that will just elevate this Bears franchise finally into the modern day offenses while still being the head coach. And that's not what he he is. It's just not what he is. You know, concepts and stuff in the passing game, I think there's still a lot, you know, in terms of how Nagy looks at that. I think there's, there's plenty of positives there. Negatives at times. Absolutely. Absolutely. The way sometimes the, the, you know, he clusters receivers and there's, there's issues. I'm not saying I, I think this offense is perfect, but the offensive concepts, especially in the passing game are there. The run game, which I don't think Nagy has a lot to do with. I think a lot of that is, is, is Juan Castillo. And before that it was he but the offense, you know, the, the running game has a we've seen a lot of improvements over the last two years in the, in the running game and, and how that's being utilized. So if the plays are being called properly, I think this offense has a much better chance to work, but the plays haven't been called properly. The play calling is, is terrible. And again, I don't know why the play calling has gotten so much worse from what Nagy was in 2017 with Kansas city, those five, six games. He was the play caller 2018 with the bears. Now in these, It's terrible he may be the worst play caller in the league. Bottom line, he is at that level. He's that terrible of a play caller. So while I think Nagy brings plenty to the table as a head coach, and I do think he will probably find himself fired at the end of the season, and if that is the case, I don't know exactly if he's going to get an offensive coordinator spot or whatever he might get. I don't think he's going to jump back in and be a head coach immediately. I You know, we'll we'll see. But if Matt Nagy has a little self-reflection and figures a few things out that he cannot be the play caller, or maybe the GM who brings him in as the head coach and goes, I want you to be the head coach. There's going to be an offensive coordinator underneath you. You can pick that offensive coordinator, but that offensive coordinator is calling plays, not you. I want you focused as, as being the head coach on Sundays. If a GM hires him with that stipulation and Nagy agrees to it, that's going to open the door for Nagy to potentially have a lot of success, I truly believe, if he gets a second opportunity as a head coach. But it's not going to be here at this point. There's just too many issues around this Bears offense. And again, part of Matt Nagy's job description was to fix this offense, and he really just hasn't been able to do it. So at the end of the year, it makes too much sense for the Bears to to clean house with pace and Nagy, bring in two new guys. It's a roll of the dice because if it's the grass is not always greener. And when Lovey Smith got fired, I had that belief. I know Lovey things were kind of fading with, with Lovey, but when they made that decision, the grass is not always greener on the other side. They brought in Mark Tressman. And I know it was fun that first year with the Bears having an offense that could score points but i always think the one thing that's funny and i don't remember exactly i don't have it in front of me if the bears won 7 or 8 games that first year with tressman it was right around there but they won 10 the year before with lovey they won 10 and if and i and the fact that the bears got worse with in essence the same team under mark tressman but the offense was fun so bears fans were happy was was interesting to me because the bears did not do as well the next season so it's not always going to work out, but at this point, I do think you need to roll the dice, bring in some new people around Justin Fields. So we'll see what happens in the in the, uh, in the the offseason, but they've got plenty of games to go before then. And one other thing I want to get to, before I get to my guest, who's ESPN's Jason Fitz, big Raiders fan, and does a heck of a job with ESPN with Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, I think a lot of Chicago sports fans know her well, is Cole Komet. And... Cole Komet, to me at this point, I think Bears fans should have some antennas up on, on some alarm bells that might be sounding about who Cole Komet is going to be as a as a tight end. Now, tight ends develop slowly. And for, for Cole Komet, considering tight ends develop slowly and need to learn a lot as, as rookies, Cole Komet came in, in in the worst situation. Pandemic, He gets no OTAs. He gets no preseason games. So where Cole Komet was week one of 2020, week one of his rookie year, was further behind than I think most tight ends would be during the rookie year because of the pandemic. So I gave him a a long leash last year. Say, all right, this is going to be a developmental year for Komet. And now we're in the year two, and we need to start seeing some improvement. And the issue is, we haven't seen a lot of improvement. Now, I've seen a lot on Twitter from, you know, fans and from local media that want to talk about Colt Komet and what he's adding to this offense. And Colt Komet's blocking hasn't been terrible. Uh, I don't think Colt Komet's blocking is being is quite as good as some people are making it out to be. But he does need to help out with blocking with the way this offensive line is. And he has helped. There is no doubt there have been some plays where Komet has made a key block and has sprung a play to gain some yards. So Cole Komet's blocking has been okay. But Cole Komet, while blocking certainly is going to be a part of a tight end's role, was not brought in to be a blocking tight end. Cole Komet was brought in to be a weapon in this offense. Matt Nagy's offense needs a tight end. Well, he was going to be Travis Kelsey or at least Zach Ertz, right? That's what he was going to be for this offense. And he is not. And, and I think a lot of Bears fans sit there and go, well, if he gets Justin Fields playing, he's going to break out. And I have concerns. Could his numbers improve? Sure, his numbers could improve. But what you see in Komet in the pass game is not good. He's, you know, he's not very athletic. You know, did, was, did that play into him slipping on that, that pass from Fields? I think it certainly did. It's not his fault he fell down, but he didn't have the athleticism there really to, to – Kind of recover and keep his feet. I think that's an issue. I don't see a lot of separation when I watch Komet offensively. There, he's he is covered. He is covered, which is why Cole Komet's got you know such a short, you know, yards per catch average because Komet's really only getting stuff out in the flat and 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 in short short plays. And yes, Komet is going to have the ability as as a big guy to break some tackles and and potentially get a little little yak. But he doesn't have the separation. So if he does catch the ball, he's going down immediately because he's draped. He doesn't have time to build up some, some strength and some momentum and get his legs underneath him. You know, in, in terms of the medium to deep passing game, he's non-existent. He's not fi- you know, he's not being utilized in the seam to find pockets in, in, in zone or whatnot, like a lot of good tight ends could do, because he he can't do it. There's there's issues here with Cole Komet in terms of what he's gonna be offensively. And if he he can blocks, you know, and, and be at that point a, a low-end tight end one or maybe a, a quality tight end two, that's not what he was brought in to do. So when you're looking at Cole Komet and saying, oh, well, he's blocking well, well, great. But where's Cole Komet? Cole Komet's supposed to be Justin Fields' security blanket. When when A-Rob, A-Rob's not open, when Mooney's not open deep or whatever it might be, well, let me get it to Cole because Cole's my guy who's going to, you know, catch 10, 11-yard, you know, passes and, and do some good things and potentially break some tech. He's not that guy. He has not shown to me any ability to be that guy. So when, when look, I'm just going to say it, when people say that his floor is Kyle Rudolph, his ceiling is Kyle Rudolph. If he becomes Kyle Rudolph at this point, I think we all, you know, wipe the sweat off our brow and say, okay, you know, we've, we've got a contributor there. But Cole Komet was supposed to be a weapon. That's what they thought. Cole Komet was supposed to be an elite receiving option at the tight end position. And could he get there still? Sure. It's always possible. But I, I don't see enough to see Cole Komet ever becoming a threat in the passing game at this point. He's got a long way to go. and And I think, you know, I look, I know he's a, a local guy, and he went to Notre Dame, and Bears fans are a big fan of him. But look at Cole Komet in the passing game. He's not there right now, and we're 20 games into his career. He needs to be better there. So that that is an alarm to me and something that is not being talked about, that Cole Komet, as a pass-catching threat, does not have it right now. All right. Let's get to Jason Fitz, ESPN, big Raiders fan, so obviously fitting week to have him on. This is Bears Banter, Bill Zimmerman, will be right back with Jason. All right, welcome back into the podcast. Very excited for our next guest. Haven't talked to him uh, on this podcast for a couple years now. He is Jason Fitz, ESPN's Jason Fitz, host of Spain and Fitz, 7 and 9 Eastern, uh, weekdays. And um, not only is he a national uh, figure on ESPN, ESPN radio, but he's also a big Raiders fan. So we'll get the perspective there as well. Jason, Bill Zimmerman, how you doing?
1: Man, I'm great. How are you?
0: Uh, as Bears fans, we're doing very well. Uh, big, big announcement this week. Matt Nagy has said he's going to Justin Fields permanently as the starter. A lot of Bears fans did not like how Nagy handled the situation for a multitude of reasons, but let's go national perspective as someone who's really entrenched at ESPN, you know, a lot of, a lot of analysts, a lot of different opinions over there. So what do you feel kind of, what's your opinion and the national media's opinion on how Nagy has handled Justin Fields thus far?
1: I think the funniest thing to me, you know, I work with Sarah Spain every day and Sarah is a diehard Bears fan and we embrace on our show, our fandom. So I get her perspective, but I also get Ryan Clark and Orlovsky and everybody else that's walking around campus. So what's funny is that most of the national perspective has been Matt Nagy, you're an idiot and you need to play him right now. Sarah's perspective as a bears fan, that's measured on it has always been play him when he's ready and maybe he's actually not ready. So I've seen sort of both sides of the conversation. I think what we've seen is a little indication so far that maybe Nagy has actually been right about the readiness of Justin Fields. Now, I cover a lot of college football for ESPN. Justin Fields was my number two quarterback coming out of the draft. I don't think he has the potential to be good. I think he has the potential to be great. Like he is a franchise quarterback in my mind. So the most important thing is get him out there when you're not going to ruin him. The problem is uh, when we did finally see him out there, Nagy didn't do anything that made use of Justin Fields' skills, right? And so they had to make so many changes that I, I keep looking at coaching and I say at the end of the day, A head coach is like chopped. You know, I love food TV, right? You open up the basket of chop. You got a bunch of ingredients in there. And you're going to say, I, as a chef, can make this dish with these ingredients. How do I maximize the ingredients? I think the problem is we were all told Fields wasn't ready. And then when he got on the field, he didn't look ready because there was no maximization of him as an ingredient. So that's what the Bears have to get right. That's what Matt Nagy has mishandled. And that's why I think Matt Nagy is ultimately dead man walking every single week.
0: Yeah, and we'll definitely get into Nagy you know, his job status as well, but my biggest issue with Justin Fields, and I I think you were kind of, you know, alluring, uh, alluding to this as well, is not so much that he said, he's not my starter from day one. And, you know, like, you know, you said, Sarah said when he's ready. My issue is that I don't think Nagy did the right things to make sure to see if it was potential that he could be ready week one, week two, even week three, because training camp, I mean, very steadfast that Dalton was the guy. Fine. If that's what you want to say to the media, but in practice fields was just with the second team fields, never got first team reps. They never. So one, he never had the opportunity to even potentially win the job. And two his chemistry with his receivers was not there because he was rarely thrown to Robinson and Mooney and Komet and those guys because they didn't give him a chance so that's my biggest concern look you have to trust at some point your coach even if you're not a big fan of some of the things he's doing if he doesn't think Fields is ready that's fine but he he didn't give him the chance to be ready and that's my biggest issue I
1: think that's a a really fair point when it comes to the practice reps and there's so few of them in, in uh, the NFL season. Anyway, they're all incredibly valuable. I also think though, you know, look a little bit at San Francisco and when San Francisco puts Trey Lance in, you never know what they're going to do because ultimately, even though they're bringing Trey Lance along slowly, they are making sure that he's getting plays that he's comfortable with. And that's what I guess I wanted to see even from Justin Fields when he got on the field was like, okay, I'm not just going to make you run my offense. I'm also going to run things that, that speak to your ability to improvise. I mean, that's a bad offensive line. We all know that there's a problematic offensive line there. I'm not sure why keeping a stoic quarterback in, like basically the message to me was we're going to get Andy Dalton murdered, not Justin Fields. And I don't know why Andy Dalton loves that message, but (laughs) you know, I understand the logic to it, but you're absolutely right. Like also, We got to understand that some guys are, and this is just real in the NFL. Some guys are gamers. Like some guys are not great practicers and they are great in the game. So if you're the Bears, you need to get him in in there and figure out like, are we seeing the the real version of him in practice, especially as a rookie? Like, does he know how to turn that light on in practice yet? Not every guy naturally has that. So he was never going to have a chance to really show that until they put him in, in the game. I also don't understand though why Nagy has to be so stubborn at every press conference about what he's doing, what, you know, he's not calling and, and what his plan is with fields. Like, I just think that what Maggie, Matt Nagy has lost is the understanding that brutal honesty goes a long way. If he comes out and says, man, you know, we didn't think he was ready. I'm still not hundred percent sure he's ready, but we're going to roll with him right now. Like, I think that gets much better response from even his locker room, which matters more than the media, than coming out every week and being stubborn because it feels like he sort of drew a line in the sand and up until now has been, I, it's my ball, it's my playground, I get to do what I want. That's never the kid anybody wants to play basketball with.
0: <laughs> I like the way you put that. And and I think that's yeah, the what he, how he's portrayed the situation in the media has definitely not helped him. In, in any way with the fan base and with the media, with, like you said, being so stubborn, so entrenched, Andy's our guy, Andy's our guy. And just not even answering questions, not even opening up the door to to possibilities or opportunities. And that, that's been really frustrating as, as a fan. And, you know, I'm going to work now to just kind of get past this. Cause I've been a pretty big naggy supporter overall, but I've said from day one with this, that I really didn't like the way he was handling the situation, but I kind of looked at it and said, look, if I'm going to bring fields along slowly where he's more slowly than I would have liked, where he's not the starter week one, I circled that Detroit game as an ideal spot for him to get his first start. Because, you know, you know, first of all, if if you're going to throw Andy Dalton a bone and let him start, you're not going to bench him before the Cincinnati game. You're going to try and let him have his quote unquote revenge game. So you got Cleveland, Cincinnati, and, um, I'm gonna throw a play at their opening opponent. Rams. (laughs) So the Rams, Cleveland, and Cincinnati get those two really good teams out of the way. And you got a susceptible Detroit defense and the Raiders who are playing much better than I expected, but it's not like that defense is going to be the 86 Giants defense. So a couple good opportunities before you play the Packers and a lot of other difficult games coming up. That was, I thought that was a good place to get Fields' feet wet. And look, I don't wish injury on anybody, but that's how it worked out. He did get the Detroit game, and now moving forward, he's the starter. So, while I don't like how it was handled, the result actually turned out to what I wanted. So I'm going to try and move past it. But let's talk about Nagy for a second, because you know you brought up how how stubborn he's being and uh, and has been on, in this, and at least how it's come across the. Biggest issue I think for a lot of Bears fans is his play calling and his play calling. There's no defending his play calling. It's bad. It's been bad for a long time. 2018, you know, if you go back and watch those games, the play calling was much better. It's almost like it was a Jekyll and Hyde play caller. What Nagy what was or was in 2018 versus what he's been in 1920 and, and now 21. But against Detroit, he gave the play calling to Bill Lazer. And the offense moved, and yeah, Fields was a part of that, but he, you know, they played more to Fields' strengths, and it was just a smarter plan overall. I've always said that I think Nagy, the head coach, is good, and Nagy, the offensive coordinator, is not, but you can't separate the two. And I think if Nagy early on was more honest about himself, he might've been able to separate those two, get a good play caller in there. Because let's be honest, Bill Lazor is a replacement level play caller. When the Bears hired him, he was sitting home. No, He wasn't an offensive coordinator with an NFL team. He had been home for a year. So with, with that in mind, if Nagy had kind of done that, I think he would have been in a much better situation. But at this point, you can't separate the two. And that's why I agree with you. I think he is inevitably doomed by the end of this season.
1: And well, and that's, you know, when you talk to people around the league, they'll tell you the the, the number one mistake that, that new head coaches make is they don't understand delegation. I mean, they just try and do everything that they think they need to do because that's, it's a little bit of pride and it's a little bit of, I finally got in here. This is how I'm going to do it. Like everything you've described, I think is really common for a lot of guys to get their first shot as a head coach. That's why, there are times that guys come in the second time and they approach it so much differently. And and to your point on play calling, the other thing I would say is that I think we forget how much a, a quarterback that has a lot of football knowledge can save a bad play caller, not just in the way they run around. We talk about that all the time, but it's not uncommon in most offenses for a quarterback to go to the line of scrimmage with three or four variations of a play that they're capable of calling in that situation, or even three or four plays that they've been given. They get a little basket. Basically they get to the line of scrimmage. They take a look at their basket and they figure out which one of those plays is right. When you have Mitch Trubisky, who the, the at least, you know, the report was maybe didn't have the football acumen to be able to walk up to the line of scrimmage with that. If that's true, And then you walk into a young quarterback now, like, I just wonder if there is anybody that has the experience combined with the football intelligence to walk up and say, okay, here, because as much as we could talk about Patrick Mahomes, you know, and what he does after the snap, a a large portion of what makes great quarterbacks great is what they do pre-snap. And you can't expect Fields to do that at this point, which means... The play call he's given is likely the play call that's going to run, which exposes a play caller that isn't a great play caller. So all of that sort of leads to Matt Nagy sitting there at the end of all this, like Charlie Brown looking at the football. He didn't kick it. He's trying to say, where'd this go wrong? Well, it went wrong because partially because of pride and partially because of development. You got to get somebody and you can develop with football IQ.
0: Absolutely. And. Let, let me get your take on, you know, moving past Nagy here, get your take overall. And, and when I overall on the team, you know, so we'll focus on Ryan Pace, the GM, because Pace is another guy who has excelled in certain areas and really hasn't done well in other areas. And for the most part, because this Bears team was such a rebuilding process for a couple of years, I gave Pace a, a long leash early on when he was trying to, you know, 2016, 17, those years, I gave him, I gave him a long leash, but what he's done the last couple of years has been really damaging to the bears and, and, and their future. And it's been frustrating to watch as a fan, like Ryan Pace may be the, and he is, if you look at AV, um, approximate value numbers, if you look at that, what Ryan Pace does in rounds like four and five is better than anyone else in the league. The amount of talent he's he's gotten, you know, dating all the way back to Adrian Amos and Jordan Howard and then moving forward with Eddie Jackson and Tariq Cohen and Darnell Mooney. I mean, and now Travis Gibson, who had a great game last week. I mean, it's just, uh, you know, everyone he gets in those, it just seems to pan out. Pretty good record early rounds, but, you know, a lot of people knock his first round grades, which is, is fair, but a lot of draft success. But. Cap management has been a major problem. They kept trying to squeeze everything out of every dollar. They've punted a lot of money in the future. And my biggest issue with Ryan Pace now is when you draft Justin Fields, you know, as I'm sure you would agree, one of the best, if not the best value you can have for your NFL franchise is a great quarterback on a rookie contract. And what the bears have done with this season is Basically, instead of committing to building around Fields and opening up cap space so in 2022, 2023, 2024, you can start trying to compete for potentially a Super Bowl if Fields turns out to be the guy. They've basically punted this year, and now they'll have to kind of start building the cap space next year and the year after. So basically, I've been frustrated from – because I never thought this Bears team this year was, can compete. I did not think they could go 11 and six, no matter what was going on. They had too many holes. So if you're not going to be competing at that level, start building your team around fields now. So you can maximize his rookie contract. And I believe all they've done is lost a year.
1: Yeah. I I don't disagree with that. Uh, I think part of the, the issue and you're right. Pace is drafted fairly well with, you know, some obvious uh, constant conversation exceptions in the first round, but I, I feel like, at the end of the day, that's a small portion of what a GM is expected to do, right? Like your ability to hit on free agency. But like when you're a GM, you have to do all of that. In fact, right now, I think I would argue that the biggest separator for most teams in season is going to be. How good is your GM? How good is your GM's Rolodex? Can you actually get players coming in in the middle of the season that can still contribute? Because depth is going to be issue for everybody in a 17-game season. So the Bears have to ask themselves because I'll, I'll take a step further. If you identify that you have the, the guy as your quarterback, if you are sure you've got the guy, I believe then as an organization, you have an obligation to get him weapons as soon as possible. So you need to get dynamic things around to prove or disprove whether or not your quarterback is the guy. Daniel Jones being a good example. You, you draft Daniel Jones. You don't spend three years trying to figure out if he's the guy and then go try and get him weapons. You start day one saying, Hey, we've seen enough of practice. Let's go all in, get him a great wide receiver, get him a great tight end. Let's keep developing the guys we have, but get a great offensive line. Like we are going to commit every resource to figure out if we've got the quarterback, because if you have the quarterback, You've got the quarterback. If Justin Fields turns out to be what we hope, you know, you hope as Bears fans, I hope as a Fields fan he is, then you've got your quarterback for the next 15 years. Now, when you start thinking about that time frame, how do you maximize today with this contract? You're a 1,000% right. The problem is, do you trust Pace to do that? That's what the organization is going to have to decide because you can trust him in the draft. Do you trust him long-term in the draft combined with free agency to identify the necessary pieces to give Justin Fields every opportunity to be great? I. I don't know that I trust Pace to do that, but the problem is, who do you trust? So you got to understand you bring somebody else in. If they're going to make a change at GM, they need to do it now. They need to make a change at GM after this season. Let that GM pick the coach so that what you don't end up with is suddenly Nagy's gone one year, Pace has gone the year after. That GM gets rid of this coach, and all of a sudden, you end up with three or four years of constant change. It'll just ruin the possibilities for a young quarterback if you constantly change what's around them so the bears would have to look in the mirror and decide they want to make wholesale changes after this season rebuild the whole thing from the ground up i don't know that that's the worst idea if you believe that you can get somebody in the room that you know can maximize fields
0: yeah and and i will agree with that 100 and i will give pace credit as you kind of said how you should build and start right away around a rookie quarterback that's what he did with mitch trubisky Trubisky's first year was with John Fox, albeit. And then going into Trubisky's second year, what did he do? He brought in Matt Nagy, who was going to be his offensive guru to, to bring Trubisky to the next level. He's got Trey Burton, which was the tight end Matt Nagy yeah. needed. He got Alan Robinson. You know, they they fortified, they did some stuff with the offensive. Like there was a lot he did so he could say, tw- you know, Trubisky's second and third and fourth year. We're going to be in a Super Bowl window. And it looked like that was happening in 2018. Trubisky doesn't make the step in 2019. Nagy becomes a horrible play caller and everything unraveled. And at that point, after 2019 is when Ryan Pace needed to recognize, all right, the window I thought opened, didn't open, but he tried to wedge it open for two more years with a lot of these moves and and pushing money in the future. And and that's where it's all derailed. And I agree, you have to make a Nagy-Pace decision decision as a unit you you can't separate the two if you want to say Ryan Pace didn't quite hire John Fox that it was kind of a collective decision early Matt Nagy was still his choice so getting him a second coach at this point or third coach however you want to look at it is is too much um so I, I want to kind of transition here to the Raiders and to do that let's bring up Khalil Mack because why not because he's heard two, of him before uh, I, I hear he's
1: pretty good I you know I, I, I Never see. oh, still hurts all these years later. Still hurts. Yeah, these
0: two franchises are really linked here with this. and And now we've reached this point where we can kind of look at this trade a little more objectively. And I think it's kind of interesting from both sides where, you know, the Raiders obviously got a ton of draft picks, but the picks they got right now, a lot of the players don't look like, I mean, Josh Jacobs has, you know, shown a lot of promise, but a lot of the players... You know, I'm one of the ones who kind of, I'll be honest, smirk, because I think Jalen Johnson is much better than Arnett. And while technically Cole Komet was the Raiders pick, um, I think the Bears were taking Cole Komet no matter what. So that opened the door for Jalen Johnson to be drafted, having that additional second round pick. And I think he's better than Arnett. I don't think it's particularly close. So they kind of both drafted the same position. And the Bears, I feel, got the better guy, you know, 15, 20 picks later. But on the other side of the coin, Khalil Mack, while when I watch him, he is still fun to watch. He is a disruptor. He, you know, the, the offenses are still focused on him, and, and there's a lot going on to try and slow him down, and he does a lot to open up the doors for Robert Quinn and Hicks and, and other guys to be successful. But he hasn't had the flashy stats. He's not racking up 15, 16 sacks, which is what I think a lot of Bears fans wanted and I think a lot of Raiders fans look at it and go, Oh, eight and a half sacks. He's, he's not doing anything for Chicago. So where are Raiders fans with this trade? Are they, are they still happy with the hall? Are they disappointed with the players? You know, do they wish they still had Mac? Where, where are rate? Where's Raider nation on Khalil Mac?
1: I think everybody still wishes that Khalil Mac had never left, but a lot of people understand the value. I, I, I mean, You can look back at it now and say, okay, I think I understand John Gruden's logic. He took that job. He walked in the door. He started breaking down the team. He looked around and said, oh, my God, this this roster is far worse than I thought. And then he looked at a roster that included Khalil Mack, Amari Cooper, and Derek Carr and thought, even with these three guys, I can still only win six games. This is a terrible roster. They couldn't get a contract worked out with Khalil. I mean, there's a lot of pride and a lot of stupidity involved in that process. And so they let Khalil walk for a haul. If They had hit home runs on those draft picks, we wouldn't even have this conversation. Like, if they had hit home runs with the draft picks and the money that they saved by not having to sign Khalil Mack, then we'd be saying, Oh my god, but they didn't. And the fact is, you're right, like, our net is a liability. Like, I, I did a phoner the other day with two stations in Vegas and said, If I was a quarterback, I wouldn't even hide it. If I walk up to the line of scrimmage and I see our net in the game. I'm just screaming, we're throwing at our net, and he's still not (laughs) going to stop it. Like So he's he's a liability in coverage. And Josh Jacobs has had issues staying healthy. And unfortunately, he looks like a really special back when he's healthy. But I'm not sure he's going to get a big contract from Vegas because he's had health issues every single year. So uh, uh, the Raiders have drafted poorly. They've signed free agents poorly. They've done a lot of things poorly. I think the reason that Khalil Mack stings a little less right now is the development of Max Crosby. And, you know, you guys probably haven't watched a lot of Max Crosby. It's going to be the number one name that you hear throughout the course of the game on Sunday when uh, they're talking about the pass rush. You know, Max Crosby is a an incredible find. He was a fourth-round draft pick, fifth-round, fourth-round draft pick uh, and out of Eastern Michigan. Like, nobody thought Max Crosby would be what he is, and now he's one of the league leaders in quarterback pressures. He's just he's an incredible pass rusher. And now this is a team that finally has Crosby teamed with Yannick Ngakwe, who's played lights out this year, too. So you're talking about two guys that are among league leaders in quarterback hits, quarterback pressure. The Raiders are able right now to send an incredible amount of pressure with only four people. They blitz less than any team in the NFL, and they're getting at quarterbacks at the third highest rate. So Raiders fans for the first time are like, it, it took a minute, but we've got pass rushers. We're good. But if you if you put true sermon, everybody, everybody wanted Khalil Mack to stay. And I think it's going to be a, a it's a black eye on the legacy of John Gruden. If John Gruden doesn't ever have tremendous and I mean, sustained success, he'll be more remembered for letting Khalil Mack walk than he will be, you know, for anything. And, and Raiders fans that are, are all over Khalil Mack's lack of success are just it's it's like your ex stalking you on Facebook trying to say you're not doing that well when you all know damn well you are like that's what's happening here like Raiders <laughs> fans are still Raiders fans are still heard about it and and I, I am I mean I sat on radio the day before and said there's zero percent chance that John Gruden would ch- trade Khalil Mack especially for draft picks was the rumor I'm like he doesn't even like young players like he wants veterans he's gonna keep Mack and then the next day you know I thought my logic was sound and the next day Mack was a, a Chicago Bear so uh, it it hurts Raiders fans nearly to the level that the Tuck rule game does. It's at that level for most fans.
0: Wow. I, I honestly did not realize that based on what I've seen on on Twitter a lot. So maybe they're just puffing out their chest to you uh-huh. know, h- hide those feelings. But um, you did bring up the pass rush. so so let's talk about the Raiders defense because that's been horrendous for, you know the for the last several years, really. But you know, the pass rush, like you said, has been tremendously better. Bears offensive line, as we saw with Cleveland, especially if you've got some speed on the the edge, on the outside. You know, Jason Peters, he's still pretty damn good for 39. He, He was mauling some guys against Detroit, but Miles Garrett humiliated him on multiple occasions. He just doesn't have the quickness to the outside anymore. Jermaine Effetti's just bad on the right side. We don't even need to spend time on him. But this pass rush to me, I, you know, I did not expect it to be at this level. I thought it would be improved. I, You know, Bears fans always used to get a chuckle because a lot of people like to put up the entire Raiders pass rushing stats versus Khalil Mack, and they were always pretty close the first couple of years of that trade. But the pass rush is, 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 is much better now. So kind of the defense overall, I mean, how much is the – you know, how good is the Raiders secondary? How good is the linebacking core – And, you know, if it does struggle still, how much is that pass rush helping?
1: I think, number one, the pass rush has made everybody better. Like, the pass rush isn't getting the benefit of coverage. It's vice versa. Um, And and Yannick and Max Crosby's ability to get out and just speed rush has been so incredible that if you watch the Monday night game against the Chargers, the loss, uh, Darius Phylon had two sacks. Not part of that was he did good work. But part of that is they send everybody out to help on the edge to try and take care of what Crosby and Yannick are doing. So quarterbacks don't have a lot of time to throw. The linebackers have gotten much, much better. Like uh, Denzel Perryman has led the team in tackles every game so far this season, which is only remarkable because two weeks before the season, he wasn't a Raider. I mean, he was a late ad that knew this defense. And between he and K.J. Wright, they have played really well. Corey Littleton has been better. So the linebackers can cover And the linebackers don't make a ton of mistakes. The problem that the Raiders have in the secondary is an absolute lack of depth. We still haven't heard what Trayvon Mullen's injury status is, but uh, there's nobody expecting him to be ready anytime soon. And Casey Hayward was, uh, he missed snaps with cramps and and he's missed snaps in virtually every game. When Casey Hayward is not on the field or Trayvon Mullen is not on the field, you're stuck with possibly Arnett. I mean, this is a Raiders team. Nate Hobbs too went out with a concussion on Monday night. I mean, the guys that they have that can play at corner have all been dinged up. And when they're out, the Raiders have nobody that can cover. Their safeties have gotten much better. The liability here on defense is that they have no depth at the corner position. So if a guy even has to go out because, you know, they, they, they just need a drink of water, they need a breather after a long route like that, that's a the next play. You're going straight at somebody, whether it's meek Robertson. Uh, or uh, Damon Arnett, you're going at somebody that really shouldn't be in the league. I I was surprised that the Raiders didn't aggressively try and trade for Stephon Gilmore, just because they are out of options when it comes to depth at the corner position. And that's their Achilles heel. The question is, can Justin Fields get enough time to actually expose that Achilles heel? And that's, that's going to be a really interesting question because the Raiders don't blitz. So like I said, they blitz less than anybody in the NFL. So, Fields isn't going to have to walk up to the line of scrimmage and figure out where the blitz is coming from. But every time he drops back, he's going to have to show that mobility. Uh, But also keep this in mind, when they've faced a really mobile quarterback like Lamar Jackson, Lamar Jackson carved them up for rushing yardage because they're all committing to – like their their rushers commit so hard to the edge, it leaves gaps for the quarterback to run through. So I think the the Bears could have a little success there. This game is going to come down to which trash offensive line is trashier because the Raiders' offensive line – is, is absolutely the worst I've seen in a decade at this point. So, you know, which offensive line is the liability?
0: Yeah, and I, I completely agree with that. That was actually where I was going with this ne- next sentence and next statement is I, I think these defenses have a lot of similarities in they can get to the quarterback, and I think Sean Desai has done a heck of a job dialing up some pressures and, and using some stunts to kind of free up some guys up front. Robert Quinn – looks like Robert Quinn from 2019, not from 2020, which has been a big boost to this, this pass rush and the bears secondary. Yes. They've got Jalen Johnson out there, but they've got Kendall Vildor. Who's the passer rating against is like 110. Their, their nickel situation is, is not strong. The safeties have been better, but they were horrible against the Rams, including Eddie Jackson. So their secondary has got some issues, but when they get to the quarterback, that secondary does just fine. And, and I think, you know, both those situations are going to be, yes, can the pass rush dominate the poor offensive line enough to protect the secondary. And I think that's going to be really, really important to this game. So while we're talking Raiders offense and, and the offensive line issues, you know, there's been uh you know, a lot of issues with Derek Carr over the years saying, you know, he gets, you know, happy feet when the the pass rush. He doesn't like getting hit. You know, that's that's the keys. You can rattle him. And in fact, we heard Bosa say that last week. He goes, oh, we knew we could rattle him. And 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 that's that's interesting that a player would just come out and say something like that. So Derek Carr, and I think this is interesting because I didn't really understand the Raiders fans' relationships with their relationship with Derek Carr until I stumbled into Raiders Twitter making a couple comments about Derek Carr when there was rumors the Bears were trying we're checking in with John Gruden to see if they could acquire him in the offseason a lot of Raiders fans do not like him and, and before we get about how he's playing this year why why is there so much disdain for Derek Carr among certain Raiders fans
1: yeah Raiders fans I, I'd say it's a it's a solid 65-35 split and it's mostly anti-car until this year and, and I've I've tried to yell and scream at the top of my lungs to people uh, you know remember Jameis Win, Winston remember Jamarcus Russell like We all you know, we all forget what it's like to not have a quarterback. The disdain has been that the the concept is, like you said, the the happy feet that he's basically a check down guy and he's afraid of taking hits. So we won't push the ball downfield, which is really, frankly, an ignorant uh, statement, because look at the wide receivers he's had at times by the end of the year. Like last year, wide receiver number one for the Raiders for the last three weeks was Zay Jones. Like, nobody's worried about covering Zay Jones. <laughs> so the concept of having to push the ball down the field presumes that you have people you can push the ball to. And I just, Raiders fans don't see it that way. They see it as, if we have a great quarterback, then no matter who the wide receivers are, you should be able to push the ball down the field and throw for 300 yards. That's just that's just not real in new offenses. So that's where the disdain comes from this year. He's pushed the ball down the field farther than ever. But why? I mean, the fact is, Henry Ruggs has been... I mean, a, a, a huge addition, but above and beyond Henry Ruggs, uh, if you look, and, and I'll, I'll give Mina Kimes, the NFL analyst, a lot of credit uh, for, you know, she broke down some film with me tried to, to explain why this is happening. And if you look, what's happened is every single week now because of the success of Darren Waller and Hunter Renfro, short, the safeties, even Minkah Fitzpatrick, who we can all agree is one of the best in the league, was cheating up five, six, seven yards closer to the line of scrimmage than he ever plays because he needed to be there to stop Darren Waller from getting... 12 catches. And that was the decision they made. Well, once you did that, Henry Ruggs has developed to the point that he he can beat a top corner in the NFL, especially deep. So the reason the Steelers kept getting beat deep was because they were cheating Waller. And then you look at Miami, which has a great secondary for whatever we think of their offense. And you know, Xavier Howard got flat out beat by by Ruggs a couple of times in that game. So what happens is the Raiders' offense has become very pick-your-poison. The reason that the, the car is throwing the ball further down the field. Is because rugs can get open that quickly, but again, he's got to have time to do it. So those shots, I was I was yelling at my screen as much as I love Lewis Riddick, and he's a buddy on Monday Night Football. He kept saying, you know, you got to push the ball down the field to open up this uh, this defense to make sure the defense, you know, pushes back. Well, you got to have more than two seconds to do it. I don't care how fast rugs is. So if the Bears get it uh, at car early, I don't think it's so much that he gets rattled. It's just that it takes away his confidence that he ha- he'll have the time to throw deep. I, I think Bosa. Frankly, uh, any other year I would have bought his statement. This is a quarterback this year that's brought his team back from a 14 nothing deficit and two wins, and had them back in the game when they were down 21 nothing. Like the Raiders' offense can score quick points in bunches, and Carr has been fearless. So I think Bosa was a little inaccurate with that this year. But you know that's going to be the big test. If the if the Bears are getting after Carr early, he'll stop looking deep. If he stops looking deep, this game gets a lot easier for Chicago.
0: All right, so so let, last thing here, let me ask you about kind of the Raiders overall, because this has been an interesting team. You know, I, I don't usually do this, but for whatever reason this year, I decided to use like schedule predictor and go through all the games and, you know, post post what I thought everyone was going to be. I had the Raiders at 7 and 10. Um, I think a lot of, you know, Raiders fans when I seen kind of thought, you know, 9, 10 wins was where they were going to be. They've gotten off to a good start, but it's been an interesting start with, you know, with comebacks and, you know, kind of inconsistent play. Throughout one individual game, in terms of falling behind, coming back, whatever it might be. So, what do you think this Raiders team is? Is this a team that can, you know, with the Chiefs off to a slow start? Can this team win 11, 12 games, compete for the division? Can they focus on a wild card or? Is this things that are going to fall apart and they, they might find themselves a little short of the playoffs again?
1: No, I know they've fallen apart the last couple of years and that's what everybody referenced is, but I, I don't really care about that. Every year is so different with their roster. I think it's a playoff team. It's a wild card team. I, I predicted at the beginning of the year, nine wins. If everything broke right, maybe they could get to 10. Uh, and I'm usually pretty real on this stuff. Like I, I'm usually the guy that says, yeah, they're a six win team this year. It's just the offense was a top 10 scoring offense last year. And you know, that I, I thought they would get better this year. The offensive line has been so atrocious that I'm a little nervous about that, but the defense is better than I thought. And you look at the way the schedule predictor to your point works. Like they have the NFC East, uh, Vegas will have them a favorite in three out of four of those games. They won't be a favorite against the Cowboys on Thanksgiving, but the other three they'll be a favorite in. So I think that helps them. The fact that they already got a win you know, over Baltimore that nobody expected a win over Pittsburgh on a short week in Pittsburgh. Like, I know it's not a good Steelers team, but these are the types of games, bad teams lose. So, you know, I I think the Raiders have the the runway in front of them uh, to win, but they got to win games like this against Chicago, because, you know, at the end of the day, if you want to be a playoff team, you got to beat these teams. You got to beat the teams that are also sort of middle of the pack teams. And I think it's fair to say that the bears and the Raiders both find themselves in the same situation. If things break, right. They're a nine-win team. If things break terrible, they're a seven-win team. That's sort of where these franchises came in this year. And, you know, if the Raiders are going to turn out to be on the upper end of that, they got to win games like this at home. And I'll tell you, at home, and quickly I'll tell you this, I was at that first Monday night game. And for anyone that saw it, the referee said three times in overtime, the game is not over. He was yelling it at the top of his lungs. It was in the stadium. You couldn't hear it. Like, they built the stadium to be an acoustic trap, essentially. It is one of the loudest places I've ever been in. And they wow. do like everybody wears wristbands, and it turns like, like running the like he's pinning the the hits, as the kids say. They don't say that. Uh, so you know, I, I think the 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 environment's going to be loud, and it's going to be very very difficult for Fields. So that's part of the reason I think the Raiders have to win this game. All
0: right, last thing for you, we'll switch back to the Bears. Big picture, as a guy who who thinks Justin Fields has what it takes to be that guy that level of a quarterback Matt Nagy's fired at the end of the year if you were the GM of the Bears what you know head coach prospect would you say this is the guy I want to to bring Justin Fields into the that that next level
1: I don't know that there's a name that stands out to me but I'll tell you this if I was running the Bears I'd look at a great offensive college football mind and and that's just because of where the game is right now and and I think there's a lot of NFL truthers that just don't watch a lot of college football that haven't realized that what's happening now, are college concepts are coming in, and that's why we expect young quarterbacks to be successful really quickly. There, There's so much of the college concept coming in on pre-snap and post-snap for young quarterbacks. I get somebody in that will actually sit down with Fields and say, what do you like? What did you like at Ohio State? If I don't go that way, I think the one name that does stand out to me that's going to be a hot candidate is Joe Brady. I mean, we saw what he did at LSU as a head coach. We see what they're doing in Carolina right now. The Carolina's all in on trying to make themselves a Super Bowl team. Brady's going to become a hot name. I, I Stan Darnold
0: looks like he's an actual quarterback.
1: And, and I think <laughs> LSU might fire Coach O just to try and get uh, Joe Brady to come back. I think Joe Brady would be a, a, a solid hire for anybody with a young quarterback because look what he did with Joe Burrow. And I think, frankly, all of college football changed because of his concepts.
0: Wow. How about that? All right. There he is, Jason Fitz. At Jason Fitz on Twitter, part of Spain, and Fitz on ESPN, seven to nine weekdays. Jason, good catching up with you. Thanks so much for jumping on. You're the best, my friend. Appreciate you. All right. There he is, Jason Fitz. A lot of good points. You know, I could get behind Joe Brady. And that's the I don't know enough about Joe Brady, his demeanor, and how he could be as a, as a head coach. But got to like what Joe Brady does offensively. That, that's for sure. If he's got... If he checks the other boxes in terms of what you need out of a head coach, that that is a a good idea. And then I have a feeling we are going to be discussing this a lot more as the season progresses. All right, big week coming up here against the Raiders. They could get their heads above water for the first time this year, 3-2 and with a win. I don't know if they're going to do it, but I do think they're going to hang in there. I think they're going to get to Derek Carr some, but I do think... Yeah, like he, this pass rush for the Raiders is pretty good, and our Bears offensive line is not good at, at, at speed pass rushers here. So I think there could be some struggles there. I do think the Raiders are going to win this one, unfortunately, but I do think it's close. I think it's going to be fourth quarter, anybody's game, Carr versus Fields, who can make a bigger play. I do think the Raiders are going to come out on top, especially being the game is in, in Vegas. Let's go with a 24-20 to 20 final. 24 to 20, the Raiders are not jacking up 35, 38 points against this Bears defense. 24-20, I think the Raiders take this game, but we'll see. See if Justin Fields has a little fourth quarter magic for Chicago. That's going to do it for Bears banter. We'll talk to you next week. Bear down, everybody. Adios.